All right. Well, it's great to be here with you guys this morning. Fortunately, my microphone is working, um, so I don't have to yell at you guys, which uh, my voice probably wouldn't last too long. I'm still dealing with the funk, so uh, if you guys can be patient with me, that would be much appreciated this morning. Uh, I want to ask you to go ahead and get your Bibles. Let's go to Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 2. And as you're flipping there, I'll just remind you, we've been in this series for uh, the past six weeks. I do, we did, now what? This is the last week of this series, and we're going to be closing out this series by talking about how we as parents uh, not only have been called to prepare our kids to leave, but the responsibility, the importance of us embracing that and actually uh, modeling, teaching our kids in a way that, that does that. So preparing our kids to leave our homes today, if you've missed any messages Throughout this series, I want to remind you again, you can always go online to westridge.com and you can watch those. If you want to share them with friends or there, you can do that. Uh, you can watch videos, you can download podcasts, whatever you want to do. And if you've missed a message, I just want to encourage you to do that because each of these weeks kind of have built on uh, the weeks before them. So uh, my wife and I have told you this before. We became new parents about seven months ago. My daughter turned seven months old yesterday. And thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, somehow we've, uh, we've pulled that off, seven months. So I don't give you a manual when they, you know, when they send you out of the hospital, here's how you do this. So fortunately, um, we've been decent parents and she's made it seven months. So uh, it's good stuff, man. We love her to death and we're blessed to have her. But uh, a lot of the things that we've heard from parents over the course of this past seven months as new parents has kind of been centered around um, spending time with her because... You know, a lot of you guys have told us that it goes by way too fast, right? We've heard a lot of people say, savor every moment, enjoy every moment, because before you know it, she's going to be grown up, she's going to be gone. I've had dads tell me, you know, you're going to be walking your little girl down the aisle before you realize that all that time has passed. Uh, you guys are going to be packing cars, driving her off to college before you realize 18 years have gone by. And my response has been the same to every person that said those things to me, okay? I look at them and I go, shut up. I don't want to think about that, right? Like, why are you making me go there, man? She's seven months old. Uh, you know, it's my little girl, and I don't even want to think about the day when she's leaving my house. But here's the realization I've come to recently, in all seriousness. I I've realized that if I am going to raise my little girl in a way where she leaves my house one day and she truly loves Jesus more than anything else in life and she truly loves her neighbor like she loves herself, I've got to let myself go there. Like I've got to think about those times. I've got to think about that day when she leaves my house, stands on her own two feet and makes her own decisions about life. Like I've got to go there as a parent. Um, there's a quote from a guy named Stephen Covey that I thought was great and very applicable to this morning. And here's what he has to say. He says, begin with the end in mind. You have to begin with the end in mind. As parents, I believe this is so critical for us that no matter where we are in our parenting journeys, that we should wake up and make it a daily practice of thinking about the end of those journeys. And here's why it's so important, because if I don't allow myself to think about the day when I do walk my little girl down the aisle, if I don't allow myself to think about the day that I do drive my daughter off to college and leave her there by herself, chances are I, as a dad, I, I might not do such a great job at preparing her for when those days actually come if I never think about those days. 
And so as parents, I believe it's so critical for us to think about those days so that you and I can prepare our kids for when they leave our homes. Some of you guys are just praying your kid leaves, right? Like, please, God, let that day come. But you need to be not only hoping the day comes and praying for the day to come, you need to be doing a good job at getting your kid ready for when that day actually comes. Uh, A few years ago, when I was a student pastor, I had a parent give me a book by a guy named Ken Ham, and uh, the title of the book was called Going, Going, Gone. And in this book, this guy wanted to go and kind of uncover the number of students who had grown up in church, but who were leaving church and their faith behind after they left mom and dad's house. And so he was going to all these colleges and universities and interviewing kids who'd grown up in church and around faith and hearing this book taught, hearing about Jesus. And uh, here's what he found. Blew me away. He found that almost 80%, almost 80% of kids growing up in church, hearing the Bible taught, hearing about Jesus, were growing up, leaving mom and dad's house, and not only leaving mom and dad's house, they were leaving the church and leaving their faith behind. They were abandoning everything that they had grown up around. Now, I think as a church, I I think it's important for us to feel the weight of what this statistic means. Like if that statistic were true of us here right now, um, here's what this would look like. We've averaged about 205 kids since the beginning of 2012. That's kindergarten through seniors in high school, about 205 kids and students. What that means, if 80% of the kids in this church were to grow up, leave high school, leave your house, that means 164 kids would walk away from church and faith in Jesus. They'd just leave. Only 41, only 41 kids from this church would actually keep following Jesus and stay in an environment like this around other believers where they were hearing the Bible taught every week. 41. Now, I want to say this, not just as a pastor in this church, but I want to say this as a parent in this church. I hope and pray that this church would be full of parents that refuse to let that statistic be true of us and our kids. That's my hope and prayer. And I know that that's only going to be possible if and when we as parents step up, get serious, and get intentional about leading our kids and leading them well so that we prepare them well for the day that they leave our homes. I want to go to Judges 2, and we're going to talk about how important this truly is. So if you have your Bibles open to Judges 2, um, let's start reading together verse 6. Here's what the Bible says. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Now listen to this verse. It says, There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Now I just want to backtrack for a minute and talk about all that God had done for Israel up until this point in the book of Judges. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, you find God coming to a man named Abram. His name was later Abraham, and God came to him, and he made him a promise. 
He said, listen, Abram, I want to make you a father of a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. They're going to outnumber the stars in the sky. I'm going to use you and your family for something great, to make a people for myself. And not only that, I'm going to give them land to live in. And if you start, or if you keep reading the book of Genesis, you find God starting to fulfill this promise, right? The Israelites are taking serious that uh, command to be fruitful and multiply, and they're being fruitful and multiplying, right? By the end of Genesis, you find that the Israelites had ended up in Egypt because of a famine, and again, their numbers are just exploding, And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 1 that Pharaoh in Egypt during that time, he was getting really worried because the Israelites were starting to become such a a great number of people. He was worried they were going to rebel, try to take Egypt over. So he forces them into slavery. And these people, the Israelites, served as slaves in Egypt for almost 400 years before God decides to raise up a man named Moses to deliver and free these people. Now, if you remember the story, if you've seen the movie like the Prince of Egypt back in the late 90s, you know the story, right? Like God sends Moses to the Pharaoh. Moses, you tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses shows up and Pharaoh's like, bro, I don't know who you are, but get out of here. I'm not letting these people go. They're our slaves. And so Moses tells the Pharaoh things are going to go bad. Sorry, right? Hang on. It's going to get ugly. And God starts sending plagues into the land in Egypt to show off his power. And he's not playing games, like, let my people go. And he does things like turns all the water to blood in Egypt. He sends flies and gnats and hail and darkness, um, locusts, all this crazy stuff kills all the livestock in Egypt, all this insane stuff, and still Pharaoh's refusing to let the Israelite people go. And God finally comes to Moses and says, Moses, Um, 10th plague, you need to go tell Pharaoh, I'm killing all the firstborn in the whole land. Kids, livestock, everything, all the firstborn of anything living is going to die. And then God says, he's going to let you guys go after this. And God keeps his promise. He kills all the firstborn in Egypt except for those of his people who had painted the, the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. If you remember, that's the Passover from the book of Exodus And after that happened, Pharaoh comes to Moses and says, get all these people together and get out of here. And so there's this mass exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. And sometime during their exodus, Pharaoh starts sinking down, make a bad decision. And he gets his army together and starts pursuing them. Well, the Israelite people come to a body of water called the Red Sea, and they're looking at all this water, and they can't cross, and they're looking behind them, and here comes Pharaoh and his army, and they start complaining, we're going to die out here, we should have just stayed in Egypt. And you remember what God does, right? He uses Moses and supernaturally pulls the water apart so that his people can cross on dry land. And then God uses that same water to destroy the Egyptian army as they try to pursue his people. He frees them after hundreds of years of slavery. And you keep reading, right? I mean, because of the sin of the people and because of Moses' doubting of God himself, um, God says, listen, I have land for you, but you're not going there yet. Like, I'm not going to bless you with that because of your disobedience. And so they spend the next 40 years wandering around in the desert. But even in spite of their disobedience, what does God do? He keeps them alive. He sends supernaturally manna from heaven, food for them to eat every day. He provides water for them supernaturally at times, like 
through a rock, which is weird, but he does that. He's taking care of his people. And after 40 years, God raises up another man named Joshua to finally lead his people into the land that he's promised them. And if you read the story in the book of Joshua, again, God is supernaturally acting on their behalf. They show up to the Jordan River to cross into the land. And man, it's raging and water everywhere. And God, again, Red Sea moment, pulls the water apart so his people can cross on dry land. They get to a city called Jericho, and they're going to take it over. And God uses his people to march around Jericho seven times, and the walls fall. And they, they go into the city, and they take it captive. There's a story in Joshua 10 where the, the Israelites are fighting a nation called the Amorites. And Joshua comes to God because it's getting dark, and they need more time to finish the battle. And Joshua comes to God and says, God, we just make the sun Stand still in the sky so that we can have the daylight we need to kill these people. And what does God do? The Bible says he gives them a whole extra day of sunlight so they can finish defeating the people so that they can take the land that God has given them. All of this, all of this and more, God does for his people so that he can keep his promises to them, bless them more than they deserve And then in Judges 2.10, the Bible says that after Joshua and the elders pass away, a generation of people come along that have no idea who God is or what he's done for them. I mean, think about that with me. How in the world do you live in that people group and somebody not speak up and tell you, man, God parted the sea for us? So that we could escape from Egypt and escape from slavery. He delivered us. How could you live in this people group and not have somebody speak up and go, man, you have people wandering for 40 years and God's given food and water's coming out of rocks. It was crazy. How could you live in that people group and not hear the stories of the walls of Jericho falling and the sun standing still in the sky? How in the world does a generation of people come along after all of that and not know who God is or what he's done for them? How in the world does that happen? In my opinion, this is one of the most tragic verses in the entire scripture. I'm going to tell you how something like this happens. It's a parenting problem. It's a parenting problem. Somewhere along the way, these mothers and fathers had failed to share the stories of God's goodness and his faithfulness and his blessing and his promise to his people. They kept their mouths shut. And along came a group of kids who had never heard these stories. And why? Because the parents never told them. Parents, we have got a responsibility to prepare our children well for the day that they leave our homes. And this morning, I think it's important for us to feel the weight of the consequences of failing to do this. Look at the next set of verses from Judges 2. We see the consequence of these parents failing to share these stories of who God was and what he had done for them with their kids. Let's read this together. Here's what it says in verse 11. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and they served the Baals who were false gods during this time. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them and they were in terrible distress. Parents, I don't know about you, but I don't ever want a passage of scripture like that to be used to describe my little girl. Like I don't want anybody to ever be able to look at my little girl and say, man, she does what's evil in the sight of the Lord. I don't want anybody to look at my girl and say, man, that is a girl who is committed to bowing down to false gods who have never done anything for her and can't do anything for her in the future. Like, I don't want to think about my little girl living her life in a way that would drive the Lord to anger and cause him to remove his hand from her life so that she could feel the natural consequences of her disobedience. The last thing I ever want for my little girl is to feel like she's in terrible distress because of the path that she chooses to take in life. But parents, here's what I know. It's possible. All that's possible. You see, if I, as a father, fail to spiritually lead my daughter to do the things that we've talked about over the past two weeks, to sit down with my girl and go, man, there's this God, and he loves you more than you'll ever comprehend. And he proved his love for you by sending his son Jesus into the world to die in your place for your sins so that you can have a relationship with him. If I fail to spend time talking to my little girl about this God who wants her heart, that he wants her full devotion, a relationship with him that transcends every other relationship in life. If I fail to instruct behavior, or or if I fail to instruct my little girl beyond just behavior and aim that instruction at her heart, if I fail to discipline her in a way that restores her to a place of blessing rather than just beating her up for her disobedience, if I fail to take the time to sit down with my little girl and to remember that the greatest story I can ever share with her is the story in this book, who God is and what he's done for her, I, I realize Judges 2 could be very possible for my little girl. Guys, I don't know about you this morning, but that makes me feel a weight as a parent that I don't know if I can describe And it makes me feel a sense of urgency when it comes to the time I spend with her. I'll just speak real honestly with you. I don't want to fail my daughter. Like I don't want my daughter to grow up and to be able to say about me that she's a girl who doesn't know the Lord or what he's done for her because I'm the dad that didn't tell her those things. I don't want that to ever be true of me. Parents, we have a great responsibility to prepare our kids well for the day that they leave our homes. And again, there's nothing more important that we have to share with our kids than the story of who God is and what he's done for us. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting at a men's breakfast with one of my new friends uh, here in our church. His name is A.T. Barnes. And as soon as I heard his story, I said, man, we got to show it on this last week of this series. And uh, it was strong and powerful in the last service 
And I know it's going to be strong and powerful in this service. So I want you to take a look at the screens and check this out. Growing up, I never had my biological father in my life. The only man or father figure that we had was our grandfather. Our grandfather, when we was young, he just left us and went to New York. He bailed on the family. No one knew why he left. He just up and ghost one day. Our grandmother didn't know why he left. He just just left us. Him leaving the belly on us and me not seeing my own father in my life, that left a mark on me as far as, you know, what to be a man, how to be a man. Should I bail or should I stay? Grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. There in Cartersville, I played football and also played basketball. Thought I was a star, uh, did a great job, so I got a scholarship in football. Football, I had two options at the beginning. I had LSU and I also had Florida to go commit to play football. Both of the coaches left, so I ended up at Tech. Best years of my life, uh, my wife was there at the time. She was my girlfriend. She was the best thing because she molded me, molded me into how to be a man and how to be respectful for women. Basically, how to she molded me into being a husband. And from 2008 was when I actually began to accept Christ into my life. When Ava was born in 2010, that's when I had the decision as far as you know, it's my time. It's my time to either bail or either stay. I decided to stay and be the father because it was something that I never had. And so really, that's, that's the key point, turning point of my decision not to go to the NFL. Because with her, holding her the first time, you know, seeing everything, seeing how proud her mother was and just to have me there, it was something, something big that I knew I should do. A lot of people just decided, you know, they was mad at me, still talking bad about me, like, why, why are you just going to give it up? You're going to hate it, you're going to hate everything that you decide to do. But really, in my heart, it was already set. Being the everyday dad, that decision was the best thing. I think, personally, that I ever did. I have no regrets because my life outside of that has been awesome. My legacy to my kids, as far as Jaden, showing him, how to be a man, how to stay there, how to stick to it, how to be a man of God, and, you know, just using God to inspire you, to, to lead you to where you need to go, not really doing everything on your own. I want him to be, every day I tell him you need to be the best man because, you know, the little things as far as being a football player, being a foot basketball player, being a soccer player, whatever kind of player, those are titles that can be taken away anytime. So me being a father, and being a husband and being a man of God is something that nobody could ever take away. It's only something that I can give up. So as far as me leaving a legacy for him, I just want him to know that, you know, this is your foundation. This is something that no one can take from you. You have the right and you have the freedom to give it up if you will. As far as Ava, I just want her to experience and know that I was the best father and that the love and the care and the guidance and just the little things that I'm trying to teach her to be aware of. For when she decided to her, for when did she decide to make the big jump to accept another man outside of me? I want to be you know, her husband until she gets married because I want to experience the best. My legacy for both of them is to just see both sides of the fence. 
for Jake, how to be a man, and for Ava, what to expect. at breakfast a couple weeks ago, A.T. said, uh, two weeks, two weeks before the NFL draft, he called his agent, said, take my name out. Take my name out. I got more important things to do than play ball. Parents, can I ask you a question? What in life is so important that you can't lay it down to invest in the lives of your kids and to prepare them well for the day they leave your house. What? I mean, men, how many of you guys have dreamed of being a pro athlete? Yeah, I'm, okay, let me ask you again. What is so important? We're all here, so we didn't make it, right? So let's talk about this. What in life is so important to you men that you cannot trade it in? to invest in the life of your family. What? I love what Mark Driscoll, Pastor Mark Driscoll has to say about priorities and relationships. He says that every single one of us should view ourselves as Christian and then spouse and then parent and then as worker or employee. And anytime we get those things out of order, we are in danger of worshiping something other than God as God in our lives. And that is inevitably going to impact our marriages and the way that we raise our children. You are Christian. You are spouse. You are parent. You are worker. Church, I need you to know about me. I love my wife and my little girl so much. And I refuse to sacrifice them ever on the altar of church and ministry. I love this church. I love being the pastor of this church. I love the people of this church. But church, you will never come before my wife and my daughter. Ever. Ever. And listen. Listen to me. It's got to be the same for you. It's got to be the same for you. Outside of your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse, there is nothing more important in life than you preparing your kids to leave your home one day, spiritually leading them, investing in them in a way that shapes and molds them into men and women of God. And every chance you get, share in the story of this book that is about Jesus and him alone and what he's come to do for us. Parents, this is our responsibility. So much of us getting our kids ready to leave is us keeping right perspective on who God is and who he's created us to be. It's about us truly remembering what's important in life and what's not important in life and living in a way that teaches and models that for our kids. I said this at the last service, I want to say it to you. And I don't say this to put fear in you, I say this hopefully to motivate you. Parents, again, you realize there is a day where you will stand before the Lord and answer for the way that you managed and led your family, right? Like, I need you to know this morning, the pastors of this church will not stand before God and answer for your kids' spiritual lives. Parents, that's you. That's you. And I hope for you, man, that that creates a sense of urgency when it comes to the time that you spend with them. There's nothing more important than using that time wisely and intentionally to help our kids know who God is and what he's done. And again, here's the promise from Scripture. 
and we've ended with this promise every single week of the parenting part of this series. The promise from Scripture is when we take the time to train up our kids, to truly lead them spiritually, to instruct their hearts, to restore them when they disobey, to truly prepare them well for when they leave our houses. The Bible says in Proverbs 22.6 that when our kids grow up and they get old, they will not depart from what we've trained them in. Again, I said this last week, I believe that this book is true. I believe that this is the inspired word of God and that every page of it is true. And God promises us as parents that if we will train our kids up when they are old, they will not depart. Your kids are going to grow up. They're not going to abandon the faith. They're not going to abandon church. They're going to love God. They're going to love people. And they will become parents that teach their kids to do the same one day. Parents, isn't that what you want for your kids? It's what I want for my daughter, for kids that we have in the future. Parents, here's what it comes down to. We've just got to choose to do the things that God has called us to do. We've got to carve out time, make time. Some of us need to say no to some things. Some of us need to thin out our busy schedules. Some of us might need to go to our boss and say, I've got to be home more. Got to do whatever it takes. There's nothing more important than this. What we're going to do is just end with a time of prayer together as a church. And uh, here's what I'm going to ask you parents to do this morning. If your kid is in the room, um, in just a minute, I just want you to get together with them. If they're not sitting beside you, I want you guys to get up from your seats and you can go to a place, you can go back to some seats that are empty. And this might be the first time you've done this, parents, but that's okay. Um, do it anyway. And kids, don't be punks. You let your parents do this with you, okay? <laughs> pa- parents, I just want you to hug your kid, tell them you love them, and I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for them. If your kid's not in the room, like last service, my little girl was in the nursery, and so I just came down here and grabbed my wife's hand, and we prayed together for our little girl. So if your kid's not in the room, grab the hand of your spouse. If your spouse isn't with you, get a friend or or, or pray alone. If you want to come here to the altar, you can come here and kneel. You can get somewhere else in the room, whatever it is you want to do. But I want us as parents to spend some time praying for our children. Let's start this today. These guys are going to play. I'm just going to ask us if you need to get up, you can get up now. Get your kids. I'm going to give you a couple minutes just to pray together.
God, we thank you for your great love for us. God, we thank you for being an example to us of what a loving father and a loving parent looks like to kids. God, I pray for the parents in this room, including myself and my wife. God, that you would help us to keep right perspective on life, on relationships, on priorities. God, help us to remember that outside of our relationship with you, there is nothing more important than our relationship with our spouse, our relationship to our kids. Help this church to be full of parents who lead their kids well. I just pray over the students and the kids in this church as well, God. Guard their hearts, guard their lives. God, reveal yourself to them. God, help them to see that everything that exists here, God, that they could pursue and live for pales in comparison to who Jesus is and what he offers. God, help us to be parents who reflect that to our kids every day. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for your grace and your faithfulness. We thank you for Jesus, for the good news that he came to do something for us that we could never do for ourselves, to rescue us from our sins. God, I pray that we place our hope in him and him alone. God, thank you for this morning and for moments like this where we can stop and remember that we have everything we need in you God, to live the life that you've called us to live. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Over the past several weeks of this series, we've, uh, we've been singing a song together called All to Us. And the course of this song simply says, let the glory of your name be the passion of our church. And I think that plea and that prayer I mean, it spills over into all areas of our lives. We're not this, just the church when we're inside the walls of this building. You get that, right? Like, we're the church when we leave this building as well. We're the church when we're at home with our families, for those of us that know Jesus. And I just want us to sing this song together this morning as we close as our prayer that, Jesus, you are all to us. And we want the glory of your name to be what we live for, what we pursue in all areas of our lives. So let's stand together and let's close by singing this song.